started. Welcome, welcome. And uh, let's just pray. Lord, all of the prayer requests that were lifted up to you, all of the death, all of the suffering, all of the pain, especially, Lord, a 10-year-old who found her mother. I pray, Lord, that, that you will intervene in these situations. You will bring peace to those who are mourning. You will bring um, just security to those who, who are thrown by these situations, that you will comfort those who are in need, and that you will put yourself in the midst of these situations and make yourself known. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each of us as we study your word, that you would guide us and, and teach us what you would have us learn today, and that you would um, just prepare our hearts for the week to come. In Yeshua's name, amen. So, Leviticus 27. We are in the last chapter of Leviticus. So, next week we start Numbers. And, yeah, it's, it's, go in one chapter at a time, it takes a while, but we're getting there. We really are getting there. <laughs> so, Leviticus 27, verse 1. <laughs> yes, Ver, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Oh, can you run over and get my hamash in the blue thing? Um, oh, my God. Goodness, I forgot to print my notes for Revelation today. Gosh, I hope I have a good memory. <laughs> so are you. Ah, we might be. No, I think we'll be okay. I read it. I'm going to have to hone my, my memory, but I, 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 I won't have the quotes, but I will have the ideas. Huh? I do, but I can't remember the quotes. They were really long quotes. Um, okay, so... Back to Leviticus. We don't have to worry about me having forgotten the notes quite yet. Uh, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of a person, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, basically we're talking about gifts to the temple in, in this chapter. Uh, they are voluntary contributions. Um, they, they are not commanded. Uh, but, I'm trying to read here. Do, 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 do. Um, uh, these voluntary gifts are, are not necessary for fulfilling a, you know, Torah observance. But, but if you're going to do them, they're going to, he's go, God's going to tell you how to do them, what to do about them. Um, it says, generally speaking, there are two kinds of sanctified property, monetary sanctification and physical sanctification. The difference is in the nature of the sanctity, which is reflected in many laws. An object or animal with monetary sanctification is sacred because it is the property of the sanctuary. So we see this with Samuel. He was given to the sanctuary. He was given to the temple. Um, and so... It is forbidden to use it for any purpose other than a sacred purpose, just as it is forbidden to use anyone's private property. An object or animal with physical sanctification is used for an offering on the altar and is intrinsically holy. So the physical, you would never physically sacrifice your child, but you might sanctify them by giving them to the temple. Um, and, and in fact, that very problematic uh, story in... I want to say judges, where the guy is coming back from battle and he says, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing that, come, that I see, and his daughter runs out to him. 
Um, the rabbis absolutely understand that to mean that as a virgin, she was taken and given to the temple to serve there. It was never understood that he burned her in, in any kind of a sacrifice because that would be abhorrent. Yes, you, you, you cannot, you know, you, you cannot read, Ill, you know, illogically. <laughs> and so um, the fact that he actually carried it out as opposed to him being stoned, you know, and he wasn't stoned for the, the, the act. Uh, it was it, that he that he did this. So if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, um, then about so oh, and the valuation. So just as people may vow to contribute specific amounts of money to the sanctuary, so one may vow to contribute the value of oneself or of another person or thing. One may do this in two ways: by declaring, for example, the cash value of so and so is upon me. So I'm going to give this cash value to the temple. One obligates himself to give whatever that person would be worth as a commodity such as a slave. That, however, is not the subject of this chapter. Here the Torah speaks of a specific form of vow, which for lack of an exact English equivalent, we translate as valuation. This vow involves the holiness inherent in the individual Jew, the value of his soul, as it were. Since there is no market that can assess such a value and no way for human beings to measure it, the Torah assigns the amounts to be paid based not on the health, strength, earning capacity, or commercial value of the subject, but solely on his or her age and sex. In fulfillment of this kind of vow, one pays a valuation prescribed by the Torah, a payment that goes to the temple treasury to be used for maintenance or any other necessary expenditures as specified in this passage. So basically... Someone does something, you feel blessed, they, something they do causes you to have benefit, you, you're so joyful, you say, I'm going to put valuation on this person and pay it to the temple. And this just tells you how much to pay. So, um, yeah. So the valuation of a male from 20 years old, maybe, you know, maybe your son comes back from war because the male's 20 to 60 years old. Maybe your son's off at war. You, you've prayed, Lord, if you return him, I, I will give valuation to the temple. He goes, could you make more notes? I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the terrible part is the chips didn't even make much noise. They did. <laughs> 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 that was funny. <laughs> I know. Mushy hummus makes the most noise. So, so the valuation of a male from 20 to 60 years old 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. That doesn't mean that women are valued less. Um, well, no, no, it doesn't mean they have less value. It just means that the sacrifice, that the, 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 the offering that you give is less. Um, I'm sorry. It, it, <laughs> yes, well, be, but part of the problem is there is no English equivalent of the word that's being translated as valuation. So to us, we hear, oh, the value of the woman. But it's, it's just, it's the gift. It's the, um, a lot of times, you know, like in, um, when you're dealing with insurance and stuff, you're looking at typically the earning potential of a man for a family and what that would have cost them versus a woman. And, and I don't know if, it, you know, how any of that played into this, but... Um, you know, it says there are four age categories of valuation, one month to five years, five to 20 years, 20 to 60 years, and over 60. Um, the 20 to 60 age group is listed first because the chapter discusses the law of an adult who vows. So we're going we're gonna to keep working. Um, the chill, and it does say the children who have not yet reached their potential. 
So we're looking at the, the societal worth of a person in a sense too. If the person's a female, um, 30 shekels. If the person is from 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. If a person is from a month old to 5 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 5 shekels of silver, and for a female the valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels, and for a female 10 shekels. So we have to be careful that we remember it's valuation, not value, because to God, the value of a person over 60 is not less than the value of a person from 20 to 60. The, the, the sacrificial amount is, but the value of the person is not. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. Which is really interesting because these are voluntary things. So basically, somebody who doesn't really have the money to do it has vowed, I'm going to value blah, blah, blah. And then it comes time to do it, and they go, oh, I don't have the money. Uh, so the priest, he goes before the priest. The priest says, what do you have? Okay, this is what you can afford. Great. Or, we'll take that. Or another thought would be that they say, I really want to give this gift. I really want to do this, but I can't afford the full amount. That is a much kinder thought, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that I, I love that this is graciously in there you know and, and it says um, for the purposes of this evaluation such necessities as living quarters tools and clothing are not included in his available assets so in other words there were, just like in bankruptcy today you know there are certain things that don't count as you know they, they, they exclude these things from what your actual value is because you don't have you know you they're not going to make you sell your house to pay this. They're not going to make you sell your tools for work to pay this. Um, so if the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or bad, or good for bad, or bad for good. And if he does in fact substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. So whether it be that the person says, oh, wait, that was my good animal. Uh, I'm going to give this instead. No, both of them are holy. Or if the person says, I said that this animal that was born was going to be given to the Lord, but it's lame, and I, this is not a good offering. I'm giving this good one. They both are holy. So you've got to have the kind one. Yes, 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 I do. <laughs> um, and, and it has to do with, it, it, it says, you know, if an animal is sanctified for use as an offering, then it may not be used for any other purpose, even a sacred one, nor may it, may it be redeemed. If, however, the animal is not suitable for an offering, blemish, for example, it may be redeemed and its value used for the offering uh, for which the animal was originally dedicated. The cost of the redemption is the animal's actual value, unlike the previous passage, which deals with fixed valuations. Um, so... You having chips? <laughs> not, not these chips? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> Mom and dad will. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so the pre, um, and if it is 
And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, verse 11, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. So that's speaking to, um, you know, if, it's, if it has a blemish or if it can't be used as a sacrifice, uh, then, then he pr provides a good one and any value. Yeah. And they bring like their pig up and they're like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, walk away. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh my God. <laughs> like, because you know they say unclean. So yes. Like, that's why he's saying it. Possibly. Like, if you're Poss new and you have no idea. And you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> we'll, we'll inform you and you'll fix it. I thought that counts, right? So, verse 14. That's right. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord. The priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. That's right. Because remember, you've got, you know, the, it's got to sit still, you know, so many years, and so they, they, they have the value built into it. Um, so... Oh, and I love this, going back to the animals in verse 11. It says disqualified animals is how they translate it here. It says the term usually refers to a non-kosher species, but since the redemption of non-kosher animals is discussed in verse 27, which we haven't gotten to, this verse must refer to something else. The subject is a kosher animal that was sanctified for an offering and then developed a blemish that disqualified it. Only then may such an animal be redeemed. If it's still healthy and whole, it is not eligible for redemption. So when we get to 27, we'll see what they say about the unclean stuff. No, I said someone knew the community. Someone knew the community, yeah. Someone who's like just coming in learning everything. Yeah. That's right, that's right. So the house being dedicated as holy, um, uh, and, and the land is based on the number of years from and to the, the next jubilee. Um, deduction shall be made from the valuation. So verse 19, and if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. So in other words, you're, you're giving everything, you know, all of your, your produce, but if you decide, no, I, I need to keep this, then you actually pay more and you um, get it back. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. You know, what this psalm is making me think of is back when we were, when Bill and I were attending a mega church, and they did a building campaign, and they asked us to, to give a, a vow of what we were going to pay, and we both had done it as, as, as single people. And then when we got married, we couldn't afford to do, they wanted us to do the combined single person vows. Wow. And, and, you know, 
and we went to them. We said we can't do this, and they they actually tried to guilt us. And and you 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 promise this. And I that later learned that when you do stuff like that, they actually take those pledges to the bank, wow. and get loans based on them. And so it really it, which gave me a whole nother reason not to think that was a good idea. But uh, <laughs> but this is you know this. What we're talking about here is we could have gone before the priest and said our circumstances have changed. We made this commitment in this situation, and this is our current situation, and he could have looked at our current situation and said, I'm adjusting your vow to be this. Had they, had they even attempted to do that, I think we would have tried to, to continue. As it was, we were so offended at the way it was handled, and we ended up leaving the church and, and not giving them anything because, you know, at that point we were tithing ourselves into debt. And plus this was on top of that. And we were like, ah, this is not, something's wrong. We've got, we've got to figure out what we're doing. But this is saying, you know, if you, if you have pledged something, then, then, and, and you need to, the priest will go in and, and, and adjust it. And, and you can give your gift, which is given voluntarily. These are not obligations. Um, and it will allow you to do it. So verse 24, in the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty garage shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep. It is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. So... Um, so it's saying a firstborn male animal from cattle or the flock is sacred from birth as an offering. It cannot be consecrated as another sort of offering because it's not the property of the owner. Um, but then in verse 27, among the unclean animals, this speaks of non-kosher animals whose owner has consecrated it for the benefit of the temple treasury. If the owner redeems it, he pays market value plus a surcharge of a fifth. But if it is not redeemed from the owner... It shall be sold for its valuation, meaning that anyone else may redeem it for its legitimate purchase price. So it couldn't be used as a sacrifice, but it could be sold to the temple, you know, for for some for some use. Get the of my yeah, <laughs> just not you know desecrating the temple with it. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord, verse twenty-eight, of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. So, so um, you can't go in if someone has if someone has received and. Let me make sure that before I speak here, because I'm thinking I have this, what first was that? 29. Um, okay. This is, they translate it as who shall be banned from mankind. It says, the verse speaks of a person condemned to death by the court. This is, okay, this is what I thought. If someone vows to contribute his monetary value or his assessed valuation, as above in verses 2 through 7, the vow is not binding, because since he shall be put to death, he has no monetary value and shall not be redeemed in payment of the vow. 
According to Rambam, the verse refers to an entirely different case. The king and the Sanhedrin, as the representatives of the nation, have the right to require that the entire people or specified individuals carry out certain actions for the common good, and to decree that anyone who violates that consensus shall be put to death. Our verse states that whereas a cherim for the temple treasury can be redeemed, a person condemned to death for disobeying a national decree is beyond redemption. So you can't go in and buy their freedom if they've been condemned to death. They're, you're, you can't. It, that, that, that's a done deal. So every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. Um, and every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. I think that this is, this is one, okay, I think this is a really important verse for understanding the tithe, okay? Because we've been talking about voluntary things. We've talked about the required things that have to do with, um, uh, you know, the corners of your fields. We've talked about, uh, you know, not going over and gleaning twice because the poor get to do it. We've talked about the sacrifices that have to be brought for this or this or this. And there's always the, or if you can't afford that, this, or if you can't afford that, this, or if you can't afford that, this. Um, we've talked about the, um, um, what are some of the other sacrifices and offerings? And different, I mean, the free will offerings, the Thanksgiving offerings. Um, there's the communal offerings where everyone in the community pitches in to get, you know, the Yom Kippur sacrifice and such. Um, and now this is specifically talking about the tithe of the herds and flocks. Every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So when it comes to the tithe, specifically the tithe. All of the other offerings and sacrifices, and like I said before, a friend of mine um, try, did a, a study where she took all of the different offerings, the things that went to help fund the temple, the things that went to the poor, uh, the things that went to the Levites specifically, uh, and she and she took she took the idea of a tenth as as a basic, and she broke the tenth down into those things. And I and I actually think her study is is really well done. Um, and it was, you know, what percentage of the tenth goes to taking care of the building, goes to paying the priest go, or the pastor, goes to paying, uh, you know, giving to the poor, um, and including goes to paying for the feasts and festivals. But when it comes to the tithe of the herds and flocks, if you have only nine lambs, you have no tithe. It's the tenth that passes under. So there is the, I, I mean, there is the element of giving our best to the Lord. The firstborn of every flock was given. There, there is that aspect. But, but when we talk about the tithe, we have to be very careful because we use the word tithe to reference a hundred different things that were addressed in the Torah. We, you know, we, we talk about taking care of the building and all of these things, and those are all separate issues. And, and so there is a place for even those who are poor to say, here is some of our first. But there is also the place to say, we have only nine. We have no tenth. And, and so we, we need to make sure that when we talk about tithe, we're not confusing 
um, you know, our idea of giving a tenth to the Lord with giving the tenth of something. Um, because I think that we do a lot of abuse to those who are in poverty and, and to those who are struggling to survive. I mean, even with our voluntary gifts, even with our, you know, I want to give this, the priest goes in and says, okay, you can't afford to give more than this. Don't, 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 don't overburden yourself. This, this will do. And right, right. You know, if you, okay, you, here's your house, here's your tools. Okay, beyond that, you have six lambs. Okay, let's figure out what, <laughs> let's figure out what you can give. You know, um, because right, because because a big purpose of the giving, and this is this is really what Micah is addressing. And I get so upset when Micah is used to further abuse people, because Micah was not talking to the general public. He was not telling the general public, you know, if you would stop stealing from the Lord by not giving your tithe, then everybody would have enough as though, you know, what the way I've heard it taught, you can, you know, if you give your tenth, God's obligated to take care of you and provide prosperously for you. Look at Micah. He says, test me in this. No, Micah was talking to the priests. And Micah was telling the priests, stop telling the people there's not enough. If you would stop stealing from the storehouses, it would be there. He's telling the priests, you're taking it all for yourself and then crying to me that I'm not providing for the people. Well, that sounds like modern life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, 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 yes, because, because, like I mentioned a bit ago, when we were tithing ourselves into debt, there is nothing about what God has established as a system uh, for taking care of the community that involves people tithing into debt. You can't give more of a crop than you grow. You can't give more of a flock than you have. And so when we're, when we're looking at, you know, and, and I'll even go so far as to say it, as, as I've studied it out, this idea of do we tithe on gross or do we tithe on net? I don't know. Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. It's not yours to begin with. Just because it was, you know, funneled through you to the government doesn't mean it ever belonged to you. You know, if you get it back and you want to tithe on, you know, from that or give a gift from that or give a valuation for that, by all means. But this idea that, you know, when we, when we actually talk about the tithe, you know, so, so when, when Abraham met with Melchizedek and would have given a tithe, it would have been the tenth of everything that passed under his staff that would have gone to Melchizedek. You know, the, the, the tithe, the tenth. So, and that, and that is, again, not to say that we shouldn't give our best to the Lord or our first to the Lord. And I do think that, that when you look at what you have for income and you set up aside that tenth, um, and, you know, some people, like I said, that study, some people I know break it down and, and say, you know, we put this aside for feasts and festivals as they come up. This we give, you know, for earmarked for this. This we give, this we give to friends who are poor and, and in need, and we give it directly to them. And, um, you know, I think bringing in the whole tax-exempt status, I mean, I know some people have, there, there are actually some people who are all about, you know, churches should not get tax-exempt status because that involves the government. I'm not going there. I'm just saying because we've got this tax-exempt status, we've added other things that kind of blur the lines of why we're giving and what we're doing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we just need to make sure that we are giving cheerfully, 
we're giving of what we have, not of what we don't have. That we're that we're, you know, really being and 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 I always say if you're not in a position to tithe, you should probably look at your life and make changes to get to that position. So tithing is a good thing, but it's not. You don't tithe to get rich. You don't. You know. You don't tithe yourself out of debt. Yeah. Sow a seed. You can't go into this business without sowing a seed. And if you give me your money, then God's obligated to give you seven times back. Well, that, and then the, like how you said the taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know what? One of the years, Bill, when Bill had started his own business at one point, and we were just barely making it, um, we didn't know when money was going to come in. So the idea of actually tithing was just not even something we could discuss because sometimes he would get a job that week and sometimes he wouldn't, and we didn't know. And um, what what we did is we prayed, and I, I know I've shared this before, but we prayed and we said, Lord, if you give us both the same number Saturday morning, that's what we'll give. If you give us no number, we'll give nothing. But during that time, we were, um, you know, decluttering and, and donating a lot of things and, and you know, uh, working at the, at the church and doing different things. And at the end of the year, when I was doing our taxes, I figured up all of our donations, all of our actual giving, all of our um, charitable miles, all the different things that you can deduct, and it came to almost exactly 10% of the year. And and that was when I realized because I had been in that place I you know I had been in a fin in financial despair at one point and God had had really gotten on me and said, you know, you're not you're not tithing. But it wasn't about not tithing. It specifically, it was about not looking at money the way he wanted me to look at money. I was using money the way the world used money and and it got me into a mess. And 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 so that was when I started tithing. But then we got to this other place where we were tithing ourselves into debt. And I, that's when I went, I missed a principle here. I think I, I, think I did a thing and missed the point. <laughs> and then the following, you know, the situation where we said, okay, and, you know, we'll just give what we can and, and of stuff and food. And that was the year that we actually came out, you know, with, with that tithe. And I went... Oh, it's really just about your attitude about money. And and the giving, because why are you giving? God doesn't need your money. You're giving to take care of the community. You're giving of what you have so that those who don't have can receive. And you're, um, you know, I, I, I know I had mentioned this before, but when I was reading in the same week, I had read the two different uh, essay things about about being rich and, and versus poor. And, you know, the traditional Christian one said, said, you know, uh, being rich is not about having everything you want. It's about having all you need and, and knowing that you have all you need. Contentment. Contentment. But, it, but, it was, but being content with your finances. It, it was about, about being rich and, and, and content. And it was about realizing that you have all you need. And then I read this traditional Jewish one, and it said, it's not about having everything that you want. It's about having enough to share. And I went, oh, that speaks to me better. <laughs> it's not actually anything at all about what I think. 
it's not, it's not about being happy with what I have or unhappy with what I have or wishing I had more. It just has to do with knowing that God's given me enough to be able to share. And, and that, that's a whole different attitude. I mean, that's a tithing attitude. That's God's entrusted this to me. He'll show me what to do with it. God's given this to me. He'll, he'll make it know what I'm supposed to do. I think that your tithe going to God is between you and God. As far as, as, far as right, well, right. I do, I do believe that. Um, I mean, in the, and this is based on you know reading the study that she did and reading all the passages. There is a certain portion that is supposed to go to help take care of the local church because there's bills and things. And then there's a certain portion that is supposed to go to help take care of, of the pastor, the, the, the priest, you know, who's, who's doing all of these things. Um, and then there is a portion that is supposed to be set aside by you to celebrate the feasts and festivals so that you have the money to do that when they come around and you aren't caught unprepared like the Ushpazin movie we watched. (laughs) And then there is the, the portion, um, that, that goes to, goes to help the poor and goes to, and I, and I do, but even, even within that, I think that you have, wherever God directs you to lead it, you know, to, to give it, I don't think that it necessarily has to go to the local this or the local that, or, or even through some tax deductible charity. If you've got a person that you know who's in need and you give them some money every week, that's part of your tithe. And, and that is your honoring God and giving to these things that he's said are important. And, and I, think that, I think that trying to put any type of modern translation or legalism onto that just gets the church in the, in the way of, of the people. I know someone posted online before that at their church, and I, and I just, this was shocking to me, I'd never even heard this before, that at their church they pass the plate and the policy is if you have money, give it. If you need money, take it. And as it goes around, if you need money, you you take out what you need. And if you have money to give, you put it in. And she said their church has never not been able to pay their bills. Wow. Really? And I went, that's just shocking. That means you can't write your check. Yeah. (laughs) Do do what? So the community of honesty. Yeah. Or every so often if a dishonest person gets in there they probably catch it and address it in other ways i mean obviously you couldn't continue that if you had a thief in the midst that was just you know opening the purse every day. <laughs> sitting in the back corner <laughs> i know but who but who knows i mean who knows though if everybody's looking you know somebody's probably going to be a little less likely to open the pocketbook and dump the plate in i mean it's you know but i and i think she was at, a lot of times they'll say, if you have a 20, give it. If you need a 20, take it, you know. And, and, but really, if somebody's in your community for any length of time, you're going to be generally addressing areas of mismanagement or problems that they have, you know, if you're really a community. You know, you're gonna, everybody's going to see, oh, they're not, we need to help them. And not in a, we need to tell you what you're doing wrong, but in a, how can we help you, you know. We, we had a policy um, at the last congregation I was with, that if you came needing um, help financially more than twice, like if you came the second time in a six-month period, 
the, the leadership team sat down with you and asked what was going on in your finances that you were in need of help and how can we help you? Can we send you to a Dave Ramsey seminar? Can we help you get your resume cleaned up so that you can get a better job? Can we, you know, what, what's going on that you're struggling this way? Can we help you write a budget? Do you know how to write a budget? You know, what, what skills are you missing or what, what is actually happening? Um, you know, and if you're, it, like sometimes we have people who are out of work and they're like, look, I've turned in resumes to all these places. Well, can we get you to somebody to help fix up your resume? Can, what can we do beyond just giving you money? Not that we mind giving you money, but at a certain point, th there's a reason that you're needing money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, we had had a couple of people who had seemingly, you know, from our perspective, looked like they may be taking advantage, and so we put this policy in place so that we would know, you know, it, it, you know because the idea is that, that your community of faith is supposed to actually meet your needs, not necessarily your wants. You might not want to get a job. You might not want to, you know, actually pay your bills, but you need to, and so how can we help facilitate that without enabling you to, to do something else? So it, it, it worked really well. And, you know, a couple of people got really offended, but they were generally user people anyway, and, and so we didn't mind offending them, you know. And it wasn't like our goal. It was, it was just really you, you are willing to come and ask for money but not willing to sit down and talk about why you need it. Okay, that, that's all right, you know. Um, yeah, <laughs> but most of the people, most of the people who were in that situation, and we, and we had some people that we knew, they were retired, and they were living on very fixed incomes, and they were really struggling, and and so we didn't mind, you know, we knew we knew their situation. Their their situation is exactly what you you know the church is supposed to take care of the widow, and and the orphan, and you do that, and and you don't complain about it, but um, you know, but other people were like, really. <laughs> Your APS is about to be turned off, and you just bought a car. Huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe we should sit down and talk here. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but that's, that's, that's the accountability side of community. So verse 33, one shall not differ. So this is, this is with the tithe, okay? And I think this is also a really important thing. One, so every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy, it shall not be redeemed. So that would be the, oh, that tenth one that walked under, yeah, ah, that's not good enough. I'm, let me put a different one in. You know, I, yeah, <laughs> well, but if, if one gets under and you go, no, no, that's not good enough for me to give to God, then it goes to God and the, or the substitute. Huh, my good one is in number 10. Switch. But, uh -huh. well, no, but, <laughs> but if you substitute, it says both it and the substitute shall be holy. So right, you're probably right. not going to switch out the, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to switch out the, the good. That's right. That's right. That's right. Move it, move in front of that one. Block it, block it. <laughs> number five and number That's right. <laughs> So these are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And then this is the final chapter of Leviticus. So now we are going on my memory after a week of not enough sleep. So we'll see how we do. I may come back next week and go, okay, remember that thing that I sat and stared blankly for five minutes? I've got the answer. 
Well, no, I just, I pointed out that it's valuation, not value. And the valuation is a bad translation. They, they say there's no, there's no equivalent. Um, and based on other things they said, I do think it has to do with kind of the way our insurance valuates people based on their contribution to their family. And, and you know, if a, if a man is killed in a car accident, his earning potential over his lifetime versus is the versus the woman's who is okay. at home stay. And, and I would... Um, because of what what they're talking about, you know, if you if you give, if you're valuing a child, they have less that they're contributing, and that's what it talked about. It's based on they ha they haven't reached their full potential of contribution yet. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I was saying we have to make sure not to use the word value because that's not the word. I couldn't picture you like. No, 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 no. Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah, I don't like this part, so we're going to go No, contrary to, to what some seem to believe, I do not skip the parts that are rough. <laughs> that don't seem to, to be things I would like. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's definitely, and they said valuation is a bad translation, but it's the best we can get. There's no exact translation of what this is. So Revelation 14. So we've been... Working on, and it was funny because in the notes for the study that I, I've been doing along with this, um, there's normally the notes on the first half of the chapter and then the notes on the second half of the chapter. And this, there, there was a whole page of notes for 1A, verse 1A. Then there was a whole page of notes for verse 1B. And then there was a whole page of notes for verse 1C. And then it went into the rest of like two to two to six, and so this is a really, of course, this would be the one I forget my notes for. Um, but a lot of it was was summary and background, and so just a few things, um, especially because you guys haven't been with us every week. Uh, the 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 idea that we're looking at here is that the point of everything going on in Revelation is to reconcile all of the realms. Reconcile the name of God, which involves reconciling all of, uh, of the realms. So fall, everything fractured, revelation, everything coming back together. And um, in, in a sense, if you can imagine it as, you know, when you, when you tear skin even, or relationship or whatever, the healing is messy. It's a messy situation. And that, that's, that's the better way, I think, to look at the stuff that's happening in Revelation. It's, you know, even though God is pouring out judgments, if he didn't pour them out, it wouldn't all get reconciled. You know, it's, think of it as, as getting the pus out or getting, you know, cleaning the wound. And it, it's all got to be dealt with. Um, kind of like, you know, the, the situation when, you know, my family was going through a really bad situation and stuff was happening and I was crying and I'm like, you know, God, why are, why are you punishing me? This is so painful. And he says, have I taught you nothing? And I'm like, and then I, you know, then I go, oh, I know you have. And, and so he said, I'm not, because he goes, I'm not punishing you with this. This is stuff that has been needing to happen for three years, but you weren't ready for it yet. You're ready now, so I'm letting it happen. I've been holding it back, and now I'm stopping. And, and that's what we keep having, you know, with the, the angels that were holding back the four corners, and then they stop. And, and things that have been being kept at bay, and now they're being allowed to happen. And, and people who have been protected, and that protection ends because it's at that point now where you need to figure out what you're doing. And so um, 
the reference to Mount uh, Zion here, um, we are still in that transitioning between, you know, we're kind of toggling back and forth in the last couple of chapters between the spiritual world and, you know, because there's the heaven, there's heaven, there's the sea, which is the spiritual realm, and then there's the earth, and we're kind of toggling back and forth between the sea and the earth. And, and Mount Zion, which is where all of, you know, so many things happen, and it, it is a very spiritual realm place. It's, um, the, the, Celt, the Celtic people uh, traditionally talked of high places or, or thin spaces where the spiritual realm and the, and the physical realm were less disconnected. And so that, that's kind of imagine that when we're here talking about my, Mount Zion. And it says, stood the Lamb, Messiah, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, this is not saying there are only 144,000 who are going to be saved. This is not saying that only 144,000 really have God's name written on them. This is more, and when you, when you consider that we're, we're looking at kind of a blurring between the sea and the earth, this is 144,000 representatives okay so this is this is um the the significance you know there's there's the idea of the 12,000 from each tribe and and so they are representative of everyone um we've talked in the past about the idea you know of of the zadik the righteous and this idea that um there's this very very old idea that that uh the the jewish belief that the righteous, um, and this is a lot based on Job, that sometimes the righteous take on the suffering of their generation in order to redeem the generation because other people would suffer and curse God, but the righteous won't. And so when the righteous endures that, so this is this idea of 144,000 sadiqs, 144,000 righteous, 144,000 who are going to take on or who have taken on that suffering for their generations. And, and by going through that, have the Father's name written on their forehead. And, and we talked before about um, the idea, you know, when God, when God loves someone, he, give, he sends angels unawares to give them the opportunity to care for them. And when they do, then he writes their, you know, his, his hand of mercy reaches down and puts his seal on their forehead. And then the, the great destroyer goes around them. So that, that's what we've got here. We've got 144,000 righteous with God's name written on their forehead. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of thunder, um, which is uh, actually in there, in there were some quotes, uh, talking about this being the voice of, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is discussed as the waters. Um, and so it's the voice of many waters and the sound of thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. Now, the idea of the harps and the new song is speaking to prophecy. They're prophesying. And we have um, several examples in scripture where... Uh, people are redeemed, and, and the evidence of that is that they prophesy. And um, 
a lot of times that is translated as speaking in tongues, but it's, and, and it is often in tongues of other languages, but it has to do with, um, you know, when, when Moses set apart the Sanhedrin and he told everyone, take the people from your families that are supposed to come and represent your family at the Sanhedrin, uh, consecrate them, go through these three days of ritual immersion and prepare them, et cetera, et cetera. So all those people came and Moses blessed them and they became the Sanhedrin, but there were like these Three, three or five guys off in the camp who also started prophesying. And the people came and said, Moses, these guys didn't consecrate themselves, and they're, they're prophesying. This isn't supposed to happen. He goes, clearly God has also chosen them to join. <laughs> Bring them here. <laughs> so they did. Um, you know, when, in, when we have the, the disciples in, in the upper room and everything happened at, at Pentecost and they began to prophesy and they began to proclaim God. And so this, we actually have several stories in scripture. Um, but the idea of a new song speaking to prophecy is like when they crossed the Red Sea and Miriam burst into song and all the Israelites danced and, and it was a prophetic song. It was declaring what God has done. And so that's what they're doing. They are, they are singing like Miriam on the other side of, of the sea. They are, they are singing and, and praising God before the, the living creatures, before the elders. Um, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Okay, so this is a specific uh, uh, prophecy for them. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. And I'm trying to remember the notes on this, but I believe that, that it was talking about the... Um, the idea of them not having committed adultery with the world. I've got notes like that, too. Yeah. I, I've, I, I'm pulling up mine. Yeah. That, um, yeah, it's even even combining it with 1 Timothy 3, 2, where it says the husband of one wife, even. Yes, um, yes. And the idea that, that, they're, that they're, committed, they're committed to him. They have, because they haven't, um, and, and it says it is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They are committed to the lamb. They are dedicated to what Messiah is teaching. They, they, they have not gone in with the world and all the world's ideas, and they, they have not desecrated themselves with idolatry. Okay, this is this is further idea of, the, of them being the righteous ones, them being the zadik. Um, so they are they are single-mindedly devoted to God. Uh, so these have been redeemed from mankind as a first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Okay, so this is, this is really different from looking at it as 144,000 virgin men. I mean, it's, and, and... That alone can be hard to find. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good luck, you know. <laughs> so, um, and and it's, it's different from looking at them as, you know, these are specific representatives from each of the tribes. It, it's, yes, there, there is that significance... But it is about those who are hearers and doers of the word. That's what all of Revelation has been talking about. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. Be single-mindedly devoted to the Lord. Focus on what Messiah has taught. Put your name in the Lamb's book of life. You know, get right with the Lord. Don't be undecided. Um, I think that, I, I suspect, and I would have to go in and look, and this is where not having my notes today is, is not going to help me, um, but... Generally, the, the words in the Greek are more gender neutral, and then the translations assign them gender. 
So if it was, it is these who have not defiled themselves sexually, then it would be translated with women because it's not supposed to be, I, I don't think that the with women involved, I mean, yes, in idolatry there is sexual immorality. So they have not engaged in the pagan idolatry that always is signified by sex. So um, I, it's, I, I don't know without looking at it further how much of that is spiritually significant and how much of that is literally significant. But what we're going to find as we go forward in this chapter is reference to the one and one of the things about the sadiq one of the things that that if you've studied these things it's it's you know how sometimes things go hand in hand you mention one you have to think of the other is the idea that those who attach themselves to that righteous person benefit from their righteousness so there's this idea uh, and and paul talks about uh, peter talks about this excuse me when he's talking about, I think they both reference it actually, where they're talking about uh, the the saved woman and the unsaved man, or the saved man and the unsaved woman, and and your children being sanctified, it's because, um, you know, and a lot of it's it's really hard to explain because sometimes people will say, well, I'm married to an unbeliever, but I'm being told I have to stay with them, but they're always on me about my faith and they're yelling at me, okay. That doesn't fit Paul's requirement of living peacefully with you. You know, if they're always harassing you about your faith or trying to shame you into giving up your faith or guilt you into not going to church, you know, or studying your Bible or whatever, whatever, uh, that's not living peacefully with you. The idea of what, of what I believe they're trying to express is if you are a righteous person who has devoted yourself to the Lord, and they don't know, their faith is not at a level where they can attach themselves to the Lord, but they've attached themselves to you. Your righteousness, that, that is their level of faith. They say, I see that this person loves the Lord. There are things about this person that I'm drawn to. I, I, I want the things that this person has. Their faith may not be yet able to attach to God, but they've attached to you. And, and that benefits them. Okay, it, it, and it, it's what Peter says gives the woman the opportunity to do what the word couldn't, which is live out her faith so that he is able to see it in action and be drawn to the Lord. So it's not a saving sanctification. No, except that God knows everybody's hearts, and I don't, you know, and so this is where I'm not saying that they're saved, but I'm not saying they wouldn't be in the kingdom if that makes sense, <laughs> where, where when it comes time, you know, where they were abused by their pastor father and everyone who ever came and talked to them about the Lord was offensive in some horrible way that even we would find offensive and they just got turned off and turned off and turned off, but they see something in this woman and they're drawn to that and it's a real holiness and they attach to that and they want that, but they have other things keeping them from clearer understanding God knows their heart. God knows their level of faith. If a faith of a you know, grain of mustard seed is all it takes, that's where I'm glad I don't judge. It's not my job. <laughs> I just, yeah, no, it's just, I, I just have found, you know, when, as you start reading and you read the rabbis talking about it is better to not know God and obey his word than to know God and not obey his word. And, and that's where I think 
if someone, for whatever reason, doesn't really know God, but has attached themselves to righteous people, and then that's credited to them. And and then you know there are actually several different pictures. There are several different pictures uh, and parables of different judgments. You know, the one with the sheep and the goats is the judgment of the nations, not Israel. It's the judgments of the Gentiles. And those who get in are those who did to the least of these. And they say, you know, he says, you did these things to me. And they say, when did we do these things to you? And they said, when you did it to the least of these. You didn't know you were doing it to me, but you did it. And you're in the kingdom. And to the other people, he says, you didn't do these things. Go away. I don't know you. You know, so it's, it, it's, we have righteous, and we're going to talk about people having attached to them, and, and they are benefiting from them in their generation, even if it's just that the righteous have taken on more suffering so that others don't have to, so that they aren't going to, to um, you know, to violate commands. So he says, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Okay, so this is to everyone. So only the 144,000 could learn that prophetic song. But now an angel is flying overhead, proclaiming a gospel, the eternal gospel. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Okay, so at this point where we've got the 144,000, the righteous ones, um, you know, set apart, it's, it's not too late. The gospel is going, an angel, a messenger from God is proclaiming a gospel that everyone hears and saying, it's time, get out, you know, get out of the way of the judgments that are coming. Worship the one who made heaven and earth. Okay, so it's not like anything that's about to happen, people can go, I didn't know. I wasn't looking. You know, I, why didn't anybody warn me? No, you've been warned. Okay, you may never have heard the gospel growing up. You may have lived in some place where for some reason you never ever caught on to the fact that people believed in God. But at this point, there will be no doubt. Uh, verse 8, another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So Babylon being the literal Babylon, the inheritance of Babylon, the everything that's gone in the way of Babylon, the, the faith of Babylon that has you know, corrupted the world, the worship of idolatry, the sexual immorality, the, the violations of God's commands. Um, you know, reading, reading, just not even reading Christian things, but reading mythology and trying, you know, learning that as, as we're studying through history and seeing the lines, you know, how the Babylonian gods were, um, you know, absorbed into the, the Persian gods and the Greek gods and then the Roman gods grew out of those ideas and these ideas that have gone on that are kind of a counter faith to what, what God puts forth. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, and, and remembering, will there be a literal mark? I don't know. 
But the idea of the forehead and the hand specifically being where the phylacteries go, it's the, the hearing and understanding and doing of the word, it's the, um, you know, your, you, anyone who worships the beast and embraces that doctrine, that faith, um, you know, because I know in a lot of the left behind stuff, there's this, but what if they hold you down and put the mark on you? What if you didn't really want it? What if you said you wanted the mark because you were scared? This is you, this is about embracing the beast and, and, and that it's embracing that anti-Messiah. It's about embracing that counterfeit that Satan has thrown up to try and block one final time the marriage of the the lamb and the bride. Okay, this is this is about this is about choosing sides. It, it is not about you know stumbling into a tattoo parlor and accidentally getting the wrong thing on your hand. It's <laughs> it's, it's very definitely about a commitment to a, a philosophy to a, a theology. Um, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, one of the, the ideas that uh, I've encountered in studying the different um, uh, ancient Jewish end times ideas is that because God is a holy fire, when we, if we were to stand in the presence of God and our sin would be burned up, we would be burned up with it. Um, that, that, is, that, he is, that he is the, the fire that, that we would pass, the refiner's fire that we, would ha that we have to pass through, which gives, you know, kind of opens up this idea for looking at what happened as the, at the cross as Yeshua taking all of our sins upon himself and walking through that refiner's fire and the sins burned up and he didn't, which is why he was able to resurrect. So the reason these people would be burned up and tormented in the fire is because they have all their sins upon them and when they go before the Lord, they're going to burn with it. Um, the smoke, verse 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, those worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Uh, but this should not be, it would not be proper to use these verses to try and support a traditional idea of hell being a place where you burn with fire forever, okay? Because not everyone who has ever died is going to be alive at this time and, and embracing this. It's if you died in ancient, you know, in the ancient world, in a community that knew about that Abraham but didn't really know what he believed, that's very different from living at the time where angels are going around telling you, <laughs> get right with God, and this beast has come up and, and is telling you, no, believe in me, and you choose to hang out with the beast. Okay? <laughs> and that's why Yeshua said to them, it will be better for Sodom than for you at the end of days if you reject me. Because Sodom wasn't, you know, wasn't there in front of the beast, wasn't there making these decisions at that time. There's, there's, there's a learning curve for humanity. You know? <laughs> if you live at a time when all is righteousness and you reject it, that's different. If you live at a time when, you know, when, when there's very clear lines being divided and everything that's happening, 
that's different. So, uh, so those who actually embrace and worship the beast at this time do go into the fire, and the lake of fires, we'll get to it, it talks about who actually goes in and is tormented forever versus you know, the idea of, of where people go when they die, which is, which is different. So here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in, in Yeshua. And so during this season, it's, it's just stay right with God. Don't be deceived. Don't get, don't get swayed. Don't get led astray. Don't get scared. Don't get, you know. Um, and it doesn't say here is a threat or here is a warning, here, you know, or here is a, here is a, a, a perilous prophecy. It's just saying endure. Um, in, and I would suggest that this is actually kind of the same way as, you know, when I was when I was in labor and I got to that point of transition where I was like, I can't do it. I'm going to die. I can't do it. And Bill looked at me and said, that means it's almost time for you to have the baby. You're in transition. And I went, oh, good. That's how I hear this verse. <laughs> okay. Those of you who are doing well, just keep going. We're almost there. We're halfway through the book. You know, <laughs> so um, verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Okay, so if you're going to die at this time, you're good. If you're going to die at this time, you are blessed by the Lord. You know, don't, don't even, yes, it, that, and that's it. It's comforting. It's not scary. It's not saying Write this. From now on, if you believe in the Lord, you should expect to die. It's saying, if you die after this point, you are blessed in the Lord. You're good. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So all of your righteousness that you did, all of the things uh, that you did in obedience to the Lord, it has been credited to you. When you stand before him, he will see who you are. You are blessed. The fact that you didn't give in and worship the beast, the fact that you didn't, you know, abandon all that you knew to be truth, the fact that you lived consistently with what you had been taught from the Lord, this is credited to you as righteousness. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, and a golden crown on his hand, and a sharp sickle in his, on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. So now we're, we're moving into a picture of judgment. You know, he's sitting as, as king. He's got the, the sickle for harvesting. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Okay, so all those parables about let the wheat and the tare grow up together and then it'll be sorted out at the end. All those parables about, you know, letting these things be and, and it'll get, you know, God will sort it out. Well, he's about to sort. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Yep. Yep, one little verse there. Boom, done. Yep, not some long, tormented, you know, it, it's, he's pretty efficient. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. 
And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So now, first of all, these two angels, and, and if I had my notes, I could read you all sorts of really awesome quotes about this that I put in them. But these two angels, uh, there is a lot of evidence in these texts and in other writings about similar things that this is Gabriel and Michael. Okay, so, so it's, we know who these, these angels are, likely. Um, and notice that the vine is, uh, you know, so, so we've, he, they've, they've harvest, the earth has been harvested, now the vine is going to be harvested because the grapes are, are ripe. Uh, 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we're definitely looking at symbolic things here. We're definitely looking at, at analogy because there isn't actually a giant wine press that's going to be built outside of a city that people will be put in. So this is talking oh, about... Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> but what we are talking about is um, that... that these people will be going through their, their, they will be going through judgment. There will be, there will be a lot of death. There will be a lot of, of hardship that is coming here. Um, and this is one that, huh? Um, I, I don't remember the exact, it's probably in his note. Mine says, um, I think it's, a horse's bridle, a river of blood for 200 miles. 200 miles. Okay. Um, this is one where I will go and look at my notes. In fact, I can look at my notes when we actually close out of the recording, and I can tell you what it said. I can't, well, I can't actually believe I am tired enough to have forgotten to print it. But, uh, but this, is speaking to, this is speaking to judgment taking place. Um, okay, and in conclusion, so we'll go ahead, and I'll go ahead and close out, and I'll bless everyone, and then I will look up what that note says. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen.